listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast. For that weird little gap between Christmas and New Year's of 2012. My name is Tom Chick. My game of the week is not 007 Legends. <laughs> my name is uh, Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is not Roll Shambol. And I'm Chris Hornbostel, and my game of the week is not, um, I don't know, Costume Quest or something. Yeah, why not? That's fine. Sure. Poor Costume Quest. That's it does get dumped on a lot. <laughs> but I actually like Costume Quest. So, uh, so do I. I don't. I, don't. I just want to go out on go go on record saying that I actually do like that game, but. It, it's a game that I meant to try to play over the holidays, the Christmas version of it, and that's I just never got there. There's a Christmas version of it? They do. They have a, like a snowy scenario of it, yeah. That's right. I'm going to have to do that. Man, yeah. now I feel bad for singling it out before, because that was my whole point before, is who would play a game that's as as completely seasonal as Costume Quest on, on Christmas, and it looks like Double Fine... Uh, Oh, sort no, of no, headed no. me off at yeah. the pass there. They took care of that. There's a Christmas version. Yeah. Is there an Easter version? Because maybe then I'll, I'll bring it up again in April and won't feel bad. <laughs> uh-huh. Ooh, unfortunately. Uh, Chris, you... Uh, so folks might know you on the forum as Trigger Cut. We know you as Trigger Cut or Chris or that Hornbostel guy, variously. Uh, you have been doing a lot of writing on the front page lately that makes me very angry. Uh, you have been writing about mods for Skyrim that don't work on the Xbox 360. Yeah, they they have yet to figure out a way to make that happen. That's kind of a bummer, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the yeah, Boxing Day. What, what happens on Boxing Day? I don't know. I'm just wishing you a ha- all a happy Boxing Day. Oh yes, indeed. Merry it Christmas boxing and Boxing Day. Day and happy times are here again. I think that only applies to our, our brothers up north. Is another Canadian thing you Canadians? It's up- yeah, Canadians and Brits and yeah, whatever Australians. Crazy Croc is listening. And do they uh, run around and punch each other, or do they put things in boxes, or what's going on with that? I think Jacko jumps out of a box with a bunch of energizers and scares the shit out of everybody. That's the- <laughs> sounds That's way the- more fun than anything we do. <laughs> Uh, Chris, is there a Boxing Day mod for Skyrim? There probably is, but I haven't found it. Uh, so I, I briefly want to... So reading your series, Chris, makes me think... I, it, it immediately puts me in two minds. Of One one of those two minds is, holy cats, I can't wait to play some more Skyrim. Mm. And, holy cats, I'm glad I am not playing Skyrim on the PC because I would be so... Com- it would be an embarrassment of riches looking at all these mods, uh, even though you did a great job of singling out some that I'm like, yeah, I would totally want to play that one and that one. Uh, I just feel like I, it by not playing Skyrim on the PC, my life is a lot easier. <laughs> but a lot yeah. less rich. You know what? It's the whole thing of do you want to live in a totalitarian society where they tell you what to do, or do you want all that freedom? It sounds Tom, like... Why, why, why do you hate freedom, Tom? You know what? I sometimes... when why I do you watch, hate America? No, I have an answer for that, Chris. When freedom. I watch uh, the when I watch the Avengers, I sometimes think, you know what? Loki has a point. Oh. <laughs> and that, you know, that applies to those of us who have this sense of, hey, when I play Skyrim... 
I kind of appreciate that it's a closed box. The, de- the developers have created it. They have presumably tuned it, um, although that's that's uh, a questionable assertion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I sort of feel like here's an experience that has been put in my lap. Somebody has made this for me. I just sit back and enjoy it. Uh, there's a much more... Uh, interactive process with tuning and enjoying that experience when you're on the PC and when you go down what you described, Chris, as a rabbit hole. Right. Uh, so, so that rabbit hole of mods. I, and that's ultimately, Chris, I've just loved reading about you doing it in a way so that I don't have to do it. <laughs> it kind of removes some pressure from me. What I, what I will say about Skyrim is we're only a year away, year from original launch, and while there are just a gajillion mods out there, you're not quite to the point where we are with, say, a game like Oblivion, where, when, where you, yeah, right, when, where you start a game and if you want to mod it, it's like, where do I start? There are actually some, and I tried to give some ideas of some fairly good starting places, and there are a lot of foundation mods that a lot of people in who, you know, mod Skyrim agree, yeah, that's pretty essential. You've got to have that. Right. Isn't it like a Gopher videos that you link to? Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, that guy's awesome for modding Go- stuff. Gopher, Gopher is the man. Uh, yeah. He's, for one thing, his voice is so pleasant. Like, yeah, it really is. a bad yeah. day, and you just want to, like... <laughs> Like it's almost like therapeutic to listen to Gopher talk about mods. It's like, oh, I'm not even playing this game, but oh, it's it's really pleasant listening to this guy talk about mods. Um, but yeah, there there are just some good, uh, for lack of a better word, I call them you know foundation mods where everybody kind of agrees that yeah, this is a good place to start. You at least need this. Now, what uh, one of those that you mentioned is one of the essential foundation mods was uh, Skyri, or how do you say that? Yeah, it's actually Skyrim Reborn, but it's abbreviated S K Y R E, so it's either Skyr or Skyri or whatever you want to call it. Now, actually, um, so for, for go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so for folks who might have been too lazy to read uh, the the game diaries, or who maybe are just listening to the podcast. Uh, I, I want to ask you about a couple of them that you've already written about, so I kind of know what you're going to say about them, but these are a couple of them that caught my eye. eye. Uh, so you had mentioned Skyrim or Skier or whatever, Skyrim I, Reborn. That's one of the vital foundational ones. Uh, is there anything else you would put in that group, maybe the Skyrim UI thing? Yeah, you have to, everybody who plays on PC, and even if you use a controller, it's still good. Um, it's the Sky UI. Um, and it really is geared around people who play keyboard and mouse. But if you're like me and you achieve nirvana of having Steam playing on your 42-inch TV set and want to play with a controller, it's even good for that because it's just a nice little tweak and improve, some real improvements over the interface that shipped with the game. And... I know the interface that came with the game catches a lot of grief from people, but I actually think it was a pretty neat little compromise between what they needed to do for the PC community and what they needed to do for the 360 to get that interface to work with a controller. 
I, you know, that just sounds, as someone who most recently, so when I recently tried to play Skyrim, I, I had a, a, a spellcaster in the mid-twenties, so I had a whole list of spells, uh, I had all these different staffs I was equipping, uh, you know, I'd, make, I'd been making a lot of potions, so I had multiple variations of Restore Magicka and Restore Health, they all have the right. same name, but they have different potencies, uh, and I jumped back into the game. I'd had the, the downloadable content added. So as soon as I jumped in, uh, I got attacked by, like, cultists. And then I went to my house, and there were master vampires. So it was, it was immediately dumped into these kind of challenging battles, or non-trivial battles, and was having to juggle, okay, I equip this spell in this hand, and then I have this staff in this hand to summon this Daedra, and then I'm supposed to use this spell to cast my stone skin, and now i got to switch over to my ice spike, and oh, I'm dead. I mean, it was, an, and then trying to, like, hunt down which potions to drink. Uh, it was an absolute nightmare, and I spent far more time with the inter in the interface than in the game world, and eventually it was just like, screw it, I'm not playing Skyrim. Uh, Were you uh, using the favorites menu? Well, that's the thing, is there were all these things in the... I'd, I'd loaded... That, that favorites menu was kind of useless because it was loaded with about 10, 20 different things. So the first thing I did was I went in there and I stripped it out and then tried to put new things in there as I was playing. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it's, not, it's not entirely fair to ding Skyrim for that because I think any RPG that you have made a lot of progress in, if you go away for a year and then come back... It's going to be challenging having to relearn things, but the interface sure. in Skyrim definitely didn't do it any favors. I, I feel. Um, yeah, it's well, it's kind of hard to like. Say... Go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Chris. No, you go ahead, Jason. Fine, uh, girls, no, it, both pretty. It's uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, Skyrim's uh, interface isn't like that bad for the controller, really, if you think about it. I mean, as compared to. Like what else do we have to compare? I think it's it horrible, to? Master. No, I, I think it's horrible because well, maybe it's a specific character class. But given that my character was all about using spells and having all these staffs, and then having a special sword that I I named, I drink your milkshake, that was specifically used to kill people uh, and fill. No, hold on. This is this was used to kill people to fill soul gems that were then used to recharge the staffs. I mean, it's it's my own it's, fault in yeah, a way. I play the exact same character. Okay. Hey, hey, have you been coming over to my house playing my saved game? Yes. No, actually, I just, but no, I just hit level 21 as a spellcaster, and I use uh, staffs and stuff, and uh, use a sword to steal souls, etc. So, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's just that, yeah, I mean, going away for a while, sure, but, like, I think any RPG on a console has has these issues for the most part, though. Right, but the problem yeah. with Skyrim, I would say, is that it doesn't have a, a convenient way to track a lot of the game mechanics that I was trying to take advantage of, and and namely that is different loadouts of spells that I want to quickly choose between. Mm -hmm. Like I should have my support loadout with stone skin in one hand and. Uh, I don't know, some other support thing on the other hand. I should do that quickly, and then I should maybe have a couple of different offensive choices with the right-hand, left-hand thing. Uh, like, I feel like that the D-pad could be used much better than having to toggle through long favorites menus. Um, oh, sure, yeah. Um, now, uh, Tom, mm -hmm. one thing that I would recommend that you try is on your 360, there's a mod called Categorized Favorites Menu. That works yeah, really you, well with the Sky yeah. UI that you should have running with your 360 version of Skyrim. 
And what the categorized favorites does is it actually breaks down everything when you pull up your favorites. It breaks them down into categories, which makes it much easier to get to them quickly on the fly. See, that's so mean, because for, for a minute you got my hopes up, and I was like, oh, there's a, there's a toggle in the <laughs> options. There's something in the options called... Cat- no, it, it, it's a mod. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, so that's one of the things that really makes me think, good Lord, I, you know, I... I feel like I'm really missing out not playing on on the PC. But some it of the some of, some of the things you bring up about you know having specific loadouts that you should be able to toggle to with just a button press or key press that makes a lot of sense to me. And even categorized favorites doesn't do that for you. Right, right. Um, well, let's talk about some of the uh, the non-interface stuff. So. Okay. Uh, the a few of the things that that really tickled my fancy that I was like, oh man, I'd love to be able to play with these, reminded me of the hardcore mode in Fallout New Vegas, where in hardcore mode you have to deal with with radiation, with thirst, with sleep, with hunger. Um, it gives it much more of a survival sensibility. Uh, a few things you've talked about in Skyrim uh, include, I think, a mod called Frostfall that yep. introduces uh, climate effects like disease and cold. Hypothermia. Yep. <laughs> There's yep. Uh, climates of Tamriel, and I think that's where that camping gear that you talked about came from. Like we have a bedroll and a tent. Is that from that's Climate? Actually, that's actually in Frostfall. Uh, climates of Tamriel is actually more lighting and cool-looking rain and cool-looking sky sky boxes and more realistic-looking weather. Kind okay. Of stuff. Um, but then you also talked about some of the camping mods. Like, I love yep. that one of them is called Babette's Feast. That's just an adorable <laughs> name for a mod. Uh, uh, and and when you when you write about that stuff and you you wrote at one point about having to get from one side of the map to the other and how when you have these sort of survival elements built in that require you know paying attention to how long it takes you to get from one place to another uh, I love what that does to the geography of the world like I've I've complained a lot about how fast travel even though it's convenient for players really does hurt geography because it doesn't matter if you're going across the map or if you're just going to a city next door it's the same loading screen and what should be what where these intervening mountains and rivers and forests should matter fast travel just basically makes them all meaningless um so some of those mods remind me of new vegas and how they tried to create uh give importance to time to passing time you know that mattered Um, right and what I what I ended up doing with the mods is there's a couple of different mods that'll do it, uh, but I chose one that's called realistic running speed that basically it toggles down how fast you move through the world when you run, so that you can't run from one side of the map to the other in Skyrim in a single day. Um, so right then that introduces okay, well, how far can, you know now you're like plan now it's like planning a family vacation trip. How far are we going to be able to make it before we're going to have to find a, a motel to stay at in Skyrim or, you know, set up camp or find an inn someplace? And uh, then using the realistic needs and diseases, um, you know, I understand why they didn't ship that way with the game. You know, this is a game that however many copies, 400 million or whatever their ship, or 400 million dollars, you know, whatever their ship through was when it originally came out, is clearly marketed for a mass market, and I don't begrudge them that at all. And 
there are an awful lot of players who, if you tell them, oh, by the way, you're going to have to cook water or you might get a disease, you're like, I have to cook water? Yeah, I'm done. No, stop. Uh, but then there are a lot of players who are like, yeah, I had Boy Scout, you know, I had Boy Scout uh, camp. Yeah, we had to, you have to boil your water or you're going to get sick. And where that's going to resonate with them. And they're going to, you know, they're going to actually want that as a part of gameplay that requires them to either have enough water when they set out or set up a camp where they mm-hmm. have to be able to cook that food and cook that water. Now, and this gets also to something else that I have complained about in other games. Uh, I love what that does to immersion. I love what that does to kind of the richness of the experience uh, and how it adds gameplay. Um, but once you start folding in some of these mods, and I think this was an issue for some people with hardcore mode in, in New Vegas, uh, what do you get in exchange for raising the difficulty level? Um, you know, if you make the game more difficult, shouldn't there be some sort of a corresponding uh, reward for that? Uh, and for a lot of players, you know, they're like, I don't, I don't need that. I just you know, for me, it's fun to just make the game more difficult. Uh, and I couldn't help but think about that when you wrote about uh, taking away those quest markers in, in one right. of the. In one of the uh, th- well, that sounds like an awesome way to make a, a game immersive, but that's simply not how Skyrim was built. And you get no reward beyond, hey, it's more immersive. You, you know, there, there's no commensurate uh, reward for that. You make it more difficult for the sake of making it more difficult. Um, Right, and I, I, I think that comes down to how do you want to play this game, and one of the things that I've tried to make clear at a couple of points in the diary that I wrote is don't do don't do this the first time you try to play Skyrim. Right, right. It, you're just going to be frustrated. But after that, you know, I think there's a lot of rich fantasy tropes that are around. You know, getting to your quest. You know, when I think of taking away the quest markers, I always think of uh, Gandalf and all the Fellowship of the Ring outside the Mines of Moria, walking around trying to figure out where the entrance to the place is. And then, you know, and if they had if they had a map marker, they could have just walked right up to the door <laughs> and pounded on it and walked right in. And you know, that's a real rich part of that book and that fiction. And you don't really get anything from it by putting it in there other than if you are trying to make this more immersive world for yourself to play in, it adds that layer to it. And for some players, it's just going to be very, very pointless, and they're going to be like, why? Why would you want to do that? For other players, it's it's nice to be able to mod that in if that's what you want to do. And the, the problem, I guess, the when I come to it, my problem with it is you you ask Chris, and this is a this is an absolutely appropriate question. What kind of experience do you want? But I think when you ask that, you can't really ignore or deny. And I'm not saying you're doing this, but you have to sort of willfully ignore and deny what kind of experience has Bethesda provided you. You know, what have they tuned Skyrim to be like? And unfortunately, I don't think they've tuned Skyrim at all for some of these things that that the mods do. Uh, and I would rather, you know, part of me, it's that whole part of me that, that, that thinks, hey, Loki has a good point when I watch the Avengers. Part of me prefers that closed box that the, the developers have tuned. I just want to trust them. You know, I pay my $60. They give me something. I enjoy what they've created. And I'll keep looking if I want things that are more complicated. You know, I'll keep trying that hardcore mode in New Vegas. 
but I just kind of feel like uh, you know the, the the tampering around with this experience they've provided. I'm I'm only making life harder for me. I mean, that's something I would constantly worry about uh, and not get anything for it. But I, I love your point though that for a second playthrough. Uh, that this is a great way to make it feel different, to, to vary it up, to mix it up some. And, yeah. you know, one of the, I, I probably didn't express it well in uh, the first diary I wrote, but one of the things that is bound to happen to you in any Bethesda game, whether it's Oblivion or Morrowind or Fallout or Fallout New Vegas, which is Obsidian, but um, because of the open world nature of things, you're going to see... At some point, at least every half hour to an hour, you're going to see something that just looks janky. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're going to see a horse that goes riding right up into the sky, or you're going to see uh, a head of cabbage that falls off a shelf and then hangs there six inches in the air, suspended in midair, uh, off of a floor somewhere. And... For me, those kind of things kind of totally tell me you're playing a game and really break that sense of, you know, that sense of you are there right. in a game. And it's just going to happen just because of the ambitious nature of the world creating that uh, people like Bethesda try to do. And so what I was trying to do with these mods is, okay, you know what, from the interface... To that you have to spend too much time in that breaks immersion to the obvious janky things I'm going to see in the world those are going to take me out of the experience what can I do to bring me back into the experience and hold me there so that when it does get broken it's only for a second and then I'm back in and so that's what I was really trying to do with uh, the immersion mods that I was doing was you know Pull me back in as quick as you can. You you mentioned on that that count one of them that I loved reading about. Uh, it was called Get Snowy, which yeah. Uh, that's um, oh, go ahead. So what, how would you explain what Get Snowy does? Well, what Get Snowy does, you know, anybody who's ever had to go out and shovel snow, you know that you're out there in the snow and it's coming down, and after about 20 minutes, you've got a dusting of snow on you, and especially if you're wearing, you know, if you're crazy enough to be wearing, like, something like a fur, you know, even like your knit hat, the snow is really going to stick to that, and the combination of, and that's what Get Snowy does, is it basically puts a layer of snow on you when on any NPC, living or dead, in the wild when it's snowing in Skyrim. And you can combine that mod with a mod called uh, Wet and Cold. And this one is really great because it does this unbelievably simple thing that is totally awesome. It puts little puffs of breath on your character and on NPCs and on beasts, I guess, that uh, you know, whenever you're in a cold-weather climate, when everybody talks, you know, there you see little puffs of breath coming out, and it's great. It, it just it just feels really just really puts you in that sense of place. And uh, is part of one of those two mods uh, changing NPC behaviors where they stand out of like rain and snow, like they'll stand under underhangs? Yeah. Yep. That's uh, what uh, Get Wet does. Or, um, Wet and cold does that, uh, and yeah, they actually will run inside if they have to be outside, like they're a guard or there's have some sort of essential NPC function. They will put a hood on, 
and walk around outside with a hood over their head. I, I love that so much because one of the worst things you can do in an open world game, uh, pretty much any game where you're going to have variable weather, is to then have everybody in the world ignore that weather. Uh, you know, I, I so admire it. And I think a lot of open world games do this these days, where when it rains, characters pull out umbrellas. That That's just such a perfect little touch. Um, and it just adds, you know what, this rain is not just a visual thing. People react to it. Uh, one of the best games, and it's actually an older game. I don't know if you played The Witcher 1. I did not. At all. But The Witcher 1, one of the first things you notice when you finally get to the big town which is kind of central to the whole game, is anytime it rains, people run in under overhangs, and they stand there and they talk about the weather. That is awesome. Down. And, yeah it's, yeah, it's just great that, you know, if Bethesda couldn't think to do that in Skyrim, that a modder did think to right. do that. Uh, now I just need, in my open-world games, when it rains, I just need some disincentive to get on a motorcycle. <laughs> that's another thing is you know what I'm playing Saints Row it's raining what do I care I'm still going to drive around town in a motorcycle right. uh, yeah. uh, and then finally one of the, the last ones I want to mention just because I think it is such a precious idea and I love that someone cared enough to fiddle with this you you mentioned a mod that changes the the grouping of, of birds like how birds work oh my gosh I love the bird mods I love the bird don't, don't anybody ever discount the value of Birds of Skyrim and Skybirds because they're not in the game at all and they're actually they're given sound files too so you'll be walking through the woods and the difference between vanilla Skyrim and the modded version is just night and day because it's just like chirp 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 all you hear is birds and you see them roosting on rooftops and on fences and they take flight, and it's just awesome. And it's one of those things where you don't realize that you're missing it until yeah. a modder puts it in the game. Then you're like, I can't ever play this game without these stupid birds flying around. <laughs> I vividly recall, I don't remember where it was, but I recall in Lord of the Rings Online, uh, a point, it must have been coming out of Bree or somewhere in the Shire, where uh, you would see birds taking off in the distance. And it would right. get a little slice of sky, and you'd see those birds taking off out of some trees. And how awesome that was until I realized that it happened every single time I hit this one little vista. That it was just kind of a, a scripted animation uh, tied to some trees in the distance. But, but yeah, birds are, uh, what, a, what a great touch. Um, yeah, it's it's genius. I'm so glad somebody did that. Uh, and also, where on earth did you stumble across the phrase? I found it. I found it somewhat disturbing. Lay some stab into. <laughs> that's a horrible way to talk about an assassination. That's just that's just disturbing, Chris. <laughs> I, you know what? If you're gonna play, if you're gonna play an assassin, you're gonna lay some stab into some guys. I don't, I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> You're going to get your stab on. You're going to be stabby. Uh, so, McMaster, are you on the 360 like uh, all God-fearing people who love order ah, and lawfulness? Or or are you uh, with the forces of chaos and disorder on the PC with, with Skyrim? Well, I'll tell you, actually. Uh, I'm on the 360 at current because I, <clears throat> I hate waiting for things. But uh, one of the beauties of 
Christmas season is that, uh, and this kind of links to part of my news of the week, is that Steam has a giant sale this time of year. Aha! Well, you know what? Is that your news of the week? Yes. And uh, that everybody should take a look because Skyrim is on sale there, and it might even uh, go on a deeper sale before this is over. And since I fully endorse Big Picture as one of the coolest things you can do with a computer and a television, um, I think that that's just uh, fantastic. And like, unlike Chris, I guess, uh, I love mods and everything, but I, I don't want to make the game any particularly harder. I just like to make the game look better and add little features and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, you know, another thing that's great about just all the mods is you can add tons of content as well. Um, but yeah, no, that's uh, alternatively, McMaster, you can just pay Bethesda their ten bucks or whatever for Dawn Guard and what is the other one? Dawn Guard. Wait, don't tell me. I think I can do this. Hold on. Stonehaven, Dawn Guard. Oh, and Dragonbone. I did. I could name all three of them. Alternatively, McMaster, just just you know, fork over the price of the game over again for content that way. Well, I mean, hey, I plan to do that as well uh, <laughs> because hey, the modders they mod those too, but. uh just like I did, did in New Vegas. Well, and I did notice, too, I forget which one it was, Chris, but you pointed out that one of the mods didn't support the DLC yet. And I, I saw well, that. Yeah. I was like, oh, ouch, yeah, that's got to be difficult for the mod scene as well, is when yep. Bethesda you know, dumps and these huge chunks a, of new content. And we've got a brand-new, gigantic DLC coming out. I guess it's yeah. going to be out on 360, yeah. and it's coming for PC. Oh, wait a minute. January, and, you know, that's going to just break everything. Ah, uh, so uh, Chris Hornbostle that's, can't that's play right. Dragonbone yet, can he? No, I can't. <laughs> or fish balls or whatever, the other deal. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no, that's that's the big bummer. That's why I always like playing these on the 360, because I can, you know, I mean, hey. I've got too much content to get to already. I I, I don't need the, the Dragonborn thing just yet. I'm, I'm good. You know, normally, Chris, I would just feel that that's completely disingenuous and that it, it must suck being on the PC and not having stuff to that. But any other any game other than Skyrim, I would feel yeah. that way. There's just so much yeah, stuff right. in Skyrim. Uh, it feels like the Smithsonian of uh, video games. <laughs> like to get to every like they always sit, like put up some ridiculous number. Like it would take you a hundred years to see everything right. in the Smithsonian. I think it would take you that long to do every single quest in Skyrim. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. I mean, I've been playing mostly vanilla. I restarted a character when I started again and just went from zero to twenty-one. And I started touching Dawn Guard recently, and it's it's pretty cool. But I mean, there's so much. I, I haven't even touched the Dragonborn stuff yet. So. So I actually, after getting jumped by cultists and uh, master vampires and whatnot, and thinking, okay, I'm forget that content. I'm gonna. Uh, check out Stonehaven, which lets you build houses, and I think you can adopt children and, and play this kind of Sims thing. I was like, forget the life of combat. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna retire. <laughs> I'm gonna try this house building thing. Tom's orphanage. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna adopt a couple of waifs. Exactly. I'll You're the only Skyrim player that ever retired. Like, <laughs> to just go, to just go chill in my character. <laughs> exactly. Maybe I could buy a plot of farmland and just cultivate some crops. I can be like Clint Eastwood raising pigs at the beginning of Unforgiven. That's what I was thinking. And furthermore, not only was I thinking that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go marry Lydia. The that hogs got flu. Do what? The hogs got the flu. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, I'm sure there's a mod for that in Skyrim. <laughs> so, so I go to my house in Whiterun. 
because uh, that's where you know Lydia, she, your followers can get killed. So I didn't want Lydia to get killed when I was playing. So I just made her stay at that at that house where she's the house Carl. And I'm figuring, and I know there was a patch that lets you marry Lydia, and I know you can adopt children and build houses. So I'm like, you know what? Forget this juggling all these spells and potions. I I fast traveled to White Run or wherever it was. I I struggled around. I looked for my house. I finally found it. Went into the house. Uh, went upstairs into the back room, and sure enough, there's Lydia. And so I started conversations with her, trying to figure out, okay, now how do I get her to marry me? And I couldn't figure out how to do it. And as I was doing it, I realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm a chick. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it, probably. Yeah. So I don't know if Skyrim supports that. Maybe there's a mod for it on the PC, is same-sex marriages. I, I'm sure I, there is. I'm well, sure there is. I don't think there I can is. do it on, on the Xbox. The Xbox like, discriminates like, against same-sex and you might only be able to do it in certain, pro- in, in certain uh, you know holdings in Skyrim. Not all holdings in Skyrim. Oh yeah. It might it might not be legal in some holdings. Like California, you know, as well. Or right. Oh well, try to burn the South, Horn Basel. Just go. That's right. When the Supreme Court uh, decides on the issue, that will be incorporated into. Uh, Skyrim in the in the coming when is it June? Todd Howard's working on it right now. Good. <laughs> All right, so McMaster, so your news of the week is basically that this is a great time of year to get stuff off of Steam. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And I know that everybody may poo-poo me for uh, wanting people to uh, use the Steam sale, but you would have to be functionally uh, well, not well, to uh, to miss some of these deals. So I know at least one thing that you got on Steam. Master, I don't know what... I don't, have you been following me around? First of all, playing the same character as me at Skyrim. How did that happen? But second of all, I was in a, a GameStop on... It was either the day before Christmas or the day before the day before Christmas. At any rate, it was a very busy time of day. Uh, it's a terrible time to go into a GameStop because I had to wait in a freaking line for a while. There's I no in, to go into a GameStop. That's a good point, but sometimes they're worse than others, yeah. So I went in to pick up, uh, and I'm going to see if I can get the name of this right. Uh, I know all of the words, but I don't know if I have the order right. Uh, And this is how I went up and said to the guy at the counter, okay, here's the game I need. I'm going to give you four words. You might have to jigger the order. Uh, I think it's Sonic All-Stars Racing Transformed. Oh, Sonic no. All Source Transform. Anyway, those four words are in there. I think I got the order right. <laughs> I went in specifically to pick it up, and while I was there, I was thinking of games that I had missed uh, this year that I hadn't gotten around to playing it. And I said, and while you're at it, uh, can you give me a, a used copy of Spec Ops The Line for the Xbox 360? Because <laughs> I was thinking, you know, used at GameStop, it's got to be, you know, half price or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a yeah. game I've been meaning yeah. to play. It'll, it'll be worth some achievement points. So he brings me my uh, All-Stars Transformed Racing Sonic, whatever that is. He brings me that. And then he brings me this, you know, gummy copy of Spec Ops Line. <laughs> or, no yeah. Cover. yeah, exactly. The cover's been picked at, and it's just, it looks like it looks like it's been played by children who've been eating gummy bears and drinking <laughs> Pepsi all day. So he gives me that, and he's, and, uh, he's like, okay, this is, uh, you know, 
forty dollars for the the All Stars Transform Sonic Racing game and thirty seven ninety nine for Spec Ops. I was like, hey, that's a great deal. This is probably a, a sixty dollar game. Uh, so before I paid him though, I was like, well, wait a minute, real quick, what's the full price on Spec Ops the line? And he goes, oh, it's thirty nine ninety nine normally. You're getting it for thirty seven ninety nine. <laughs> Way to go! <laughs> yeah. So I immediately I was like, you know what? Never mind. I don't want this. I, I'm sure I can download it on the three sixty and avoid the sales tax and ultimately pay less. Screw you and your store. I didn't say that part. Uh, I just said no thanks. And I just got Racing Transform All-Star Sonic. So, uh, McMaster, imagine my surprise to discover a Steam gift of Spec Ops The Line from you not days after I had come within a hair's breadth of buying it. So, excellent timing, McMaster. Well, yeah, it's it's on a pretty deep sale right now. So, I, I was like, oh, Tom needs to feel some sort of moral uh, pangs while playing a, a murderer. Well, I certainly didn't get that from Far Cry 3, so maybe Spec Ops tonight <laughs> will provide that. Uh, so thank you. So, uh, McMaster, what else did uh, you end up getting in the Steam sale? Uh, so far, uh, I haven't picked up a lot. I haven't picked up Skyrim yet because I want to see if it's going to be like a daily deal or something. However, uh, I have picked Best up... Skyrim price has still been just 50%, so... Yeah, yeah. Try to keep holding out a little bit longer. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. If nothing else, I'll just get it fifty percent off. But uh, I picked up a, a game called Home. Um, that's a Sony PlayStation boondoggle, please. <laughs> uh, it's like an it's an indie game. Uh, and they put they put PlayStation Home on Steam. That have they no shame? <laughs> they have no shame. <laughs> what what is Home, my master? Uh, it's uh, I haven't really messed with it yet, but it's like a little uh, it's a, a point and click kind of adventure horror game, but it's it's all pixel art, kind of like old Lucas art stuff. Okay. So it looks pretty neat. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't even know if I actually bought anything else yet. I think I did, but I can't remember anything. Chris, have you succumbed to any Steam sales lately? Yeah, I uh, I miss I kind of missed the boat on. Uh War game European Escalation. Ah, oh yeah, and that was available at uh, for ten bucks, so I grabbed that. And then I'd been meaning to buy uh, Mark of the Ninja, and that went on sale, I guess, yesterday. And I grabbed that yesterday. So, oh yeah, uh, wait, I got Deadlight as well. Uh, and I'm thinking about picking up Deadlight. <laughs> yeah, and Universal Sand or Universe Sandbox was on sale really cheap one day, so I grabbed it too. Okay, wait, so I know. I know what Mark of the Ninja is. I know what uh, 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 the uh, what what is what is Deadlight and what is Universal Sandbox. Deadlight is zombies. That's all I know about it. Yeah, I haven't really touched it yet. Uh, one thing that uh, really intrigued me about it though is it's like uh, full support for uh, big picture. Um, oh, I see, McMaster. You're just buying anything that can make your big picture look cool. I say. Well, of course. I mean, they've also got like a section of the sale that's like, "Hey, these are all controller-enabled big picture games." <laughs> that's pretty sneaky. Go hey, on. the line is one of them. So, uh, you know. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a Deadlight, and um, yeah, I think that's all. Is Deadlight a platformer? I think so. Uh, maybe. Huh. All right. Okay, good. I have uh, no idea. All right, so uh, so yeah, great time of year. And do we know how long this Steam sale goes? Does it go through January, New Year's? January 4th, I think. 3rd, January 3rd, January 4th. Okay, yeah. so plenty of time. Good, good to know. Yep. Um, yeah. 
All right, so uh, let's see. Chris Hornbostel, what do you have for news of the week? Because I'm going to cheat, by the way. Just It's kind of a slow week. Uh, I'm going to save the cheating selection for, for last. So, like, I kind of feel like we're beating a dead horse with my news of the week. And I know that last week you guys did a very good job of completely eviscerating uh, this game and this company. <laughs> but the evisceration continues with some new news. Um, the United States Patent and Trademark Office has informed uh, the folks at Hammer is it Hammerlock Games? Hammer Point, I believe. Hammer Point that they may not call their game the War Z. They may not sell it under that name because it conflicts with the trademark already established for the movie that is coming out for World War Z. So they've just been told that. <laughs> They have to change the name of their game that already is awful, and so good luck with that, fellas. It almost makes me wonder, are they glad? Are they going to get to do a relaunch? Like, is it is this going to give them <laughs> right. a convenient out from bad press? You know, like, they, Right. They, they can be like their version of New Coke, where they're like, oh, we can start over. Slide on in there. Do you guys have any recommendations for what they might? Because they're, they're casting about for a new name right now. They're probably... You know, uh, troubleshooting this. They're probably spitballing names as we speak. Uh, I think they, I, I want to say they're a Russian company. Uh, but at any rate, there's probably some, some very concerned people. Probably they have their top men on this. Thinking, exactly. <laughs> thinking, what are we going to name this? Uh, do you guys have any suggestions for them? Crap. <laughs> now, McMaster, you might, you might maybe you're being facetious, but I think if we were to come up with an acronym, C R A P, I, I think there might be something there. Um, you know, you may be right because I think people would accept a game named Crap a lot easier. Dead game walking? I don't know. Oh, I like that. I like that, Chris. Dead game walking. Uh, and, and besides McMaster, Crap, they could claim that it's ironic. You see, that's true. Uh, well, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, is it is it Paramount who's doing the World War Z movie? Uh, did you say, Chris? I forget. But yeah, at, at any rate, I, I forgot who is who's doing the movie. But yeah, the and what's interesting actually is apparently the Patent and Trademark Office notified Hammerpoint of this on November fifteenth, and I'm pretty sure that the game went on sale as for the on Steam after that point in time. Which, yeah, uh, a month after that point in time. <laughs> there, there, are, there are parts of the world where ignoring what the United States Patent and Trademark Office says doesn't cause you a lot of grief, but the United States is not one of those places where ignoring what the Patent and Trademark Office says is recommended for your right. business. Right, yeah. You can't just release the, like a game in so, America and name it, the I, Apple iPad the game or something. Right. So I almost wonder, you know, Tom, last week you were wondering, you know, why, you know, what the precedent was for Steam pulling it. I almost wonder if somebody at Steam didn't get hit with a from the, hey, by the way, you're selling a game under a title ah. forbidden this company to sell their game as, just so you know. And hint, hint, unless you want your lawyers involved, it might not be a bad idea if you didn't make that game available for sale. 
That's an excellent point, Chris. And it also then makes me wonder, uh, would they just sort of retrench and, and make it only available from their site and basically you know, flip the bird to the patent office and say, hey, you know, we're they selling could. it here from, from Russia or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they absolutely could. Yeah. They could, but not on Steam. And I yeah, that, that'll really hurt their business. That, that's a huge revenue stream that would be denied to them, and right. I can't imagine they would want to do that. Especially, it's not like the War Z is, you know, this valuable brand that has all kinds of consumer goodwill attached to it. Right. You know, it's basically like if you were selling a cola called, uh, you know, you know, crap. Cola, you know, it's like I don't think people are drinking this. Maybe we should try a different name. Right. Oh, I, I would actually. I'm sorry. I'm, I must jump in here and say that I would be remiss for not mentioning that for the next day that you can get all the Batman games for twelve dollars on Steam. All go. the Batman games. Hold on, McMaster. Hold well, on. not all of them. I mean, the good ones. Wait a minute, still, hold on, because I'm thinking of at least three here. <laughs> what are you talking about? Why are you calling me a bastard? You can't ignore Lego Batman and pretend it's no, okay. Batman. Okay, okay. All right, all the, all the good Batman That's games true. that aren't Lego-based. So do you uh, mean, McMaster, hold on, there's a better way to say Do you mean both Batman games? Is that what you're trying to say? Yes, here? yes. <laughs> yes. You can, and they come, uh, see, for, uh, Game of the Year edition of Arkham City comes with, like, all the DLC for $7.50. That is nice. At 1920 by 1080 on your television, if you're cool like Chris and I. I mean, come on. McMaster, can I play as Batman in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2? I don't think so. There might be some uh, patent copyright. <laughs> or maybe there's a mod that does that on the PC. <laughs> that would be pretty hilarious. <laughs> play as cool characters in Marvel. So I want to I want to briefly mention uh, this is a sort of a movie related thing. I hope you guys will indulge me. Uh, there's a horrible company called Asylum that releases movies when mainstream blockbusters come out, and they intentionally title the movies to confuse people. Like when a Transformers movie com comes, when a Transformers movie is released, they they put out Transmorphers. Yeah, uh, very familiar uh, with these guys. Actually, they're hilarious to me. <laughs> they're hilarious, but the movies are awful. There's no crap. Oh, yeah. Clearly made just to cash in on to ride the coattails of other people's marketing. Uh, when when the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds came out, starring Tom Cruise, they released a War of the Worlds starring a different Tom, uh, C. Thomas Howell. And because War of the Worlds is a public, wow. you know, it's not a trademark, it's public domain now. It was just War of the Worlds, but then in smaller print starring C. Thomas Howell. Or um, Tom Sizemore, that would be cool, too. I would see a Tom Sizemore War of the Worlds, yeah. yeah would <laughs> Cocaine-fueled. <laughs> so, naturally, uh, you can imagine what they had their eye on this holiday season uh, when they announced a movie called Age of Hobbits. <laughs> You're kidding. Now, I am not kidding, but you would think that that would not stand. And furthermore, you would be correct. I was going to say, doesn't, Mr., doesn't the Tolkien estate actually yeah. own? Chr Chrissy Tolkien doesn't like people using his dad's work, even legally. So you're spelling out dwarves with a V, so. Age of Hobbits, there was a, an injunction against it. They were not not allowed to release it. Uh, the name was struck down. It is now called something like uh, the, the Fall of an Empire. It's got some generic name that has no mention of hobbits or halflings. Uh, and I, as far as I can tell, it's the first time that they, they were stopped in their tracks 
Uh, yeah, the other day, I think I was looking on either Am- on Amazon Watch instantly or Netflix instantly. There was some movie that had the exact same font as a Harry Potter movie, right down to the lightning strike letter. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't Harry Potter. That's got to be them, right? Probably. I, I wish I could remember what it was because I started giggling about how stupid you would have to be to oh, yeah. actually pay money for that. But then I was like, you know, like there are people who are paying money to see this. You well, know? yeah, what like, happens really is like they're going, oh, I want to see they, that. Yeah, they they just prey on like grandparents and, and parents that can't be bothered to to look. You know, they just go and like, give me the one. You know, with, well, I uh, think what makes them so. I think what makes them so successful is they're not spending any money on the production. Oh, no. I mean, it, it's it's literally just fit, shoot whatever, put it in a box, uh, and then put the name on the box. Yeah, it's really similar to me to uh, when the Ghostbusters, uh, when originally Ghostbusters came out, and they came out with an actual, you know, the real Ghostbusters cartoon, but they also had that other cartoon which was like an ape and a couple of dudes, and they were called the Ghostbusters because of some 1930s movie. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's just uh, always hilarious. Like, mm-hmm. So War Z couldn't get away with it, and now Asylum. So uh, you know, good news for big franchises all around, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, we're down to my news of the week. Um, uh, speaking of hobbits, by the way, McMaster, I have a bone to pick with you. Oh man, and that bone is called Guardians of Middle Earth. <sighs> you should, hey, hey. Yeah. All right. Yes, McMaster. Yes. No. Uh, go, ahead. go ahead. I deserve it. I, <laughs> I, you know, Chaplin. Chaplin was all over me about it. Uh, I just haven't played it lately. Uh, I understand. I'm, Here's my bone to pick with you, McMaster. So I play Guardians of Middle Earth. I finally am like, you know what? I I like Hobbits. I like real time strategy games. I'm always up for another Dota clone, another Defense of the Ancients clone. You know, League of Legends done right on a console system. Yeah, I'm down with that. Sure. Guardians of Middle Earth. Oh, good Lord. I, McMaster, I just, I, I, it's such a chore, this silly thing. It, it, to me, is like, it, it's almost like an asylum production in that I just see so little craft here. It's almost a complete, straight up clone of League of Legends. And I think part of my problem yeah. is that, I, but I think part of my problem is that I had recently played. Uh, awesome Knots, which uh, a fine Dutch developer called, uh, I think, Ronimo Games created Awesome Knots. It's a side-scroller. It, it, it uses uh, sort of the vocabulary of platforming, but in the context of one of these Defense of the Ancients-style games. Uh, it has a lot of personality in the artwork and the different characters. Now, then I go into Guardians of Middle-Earth, and it's a straight-up, you know, isometric, top-down-ish view Um a lot of the mechanics straight out of League of Legends. Uh, it's it's based on a handful of numbers and minor incremental improvements to the various numbers. Uh, one of the things that I really dislike about it is that you don't make any meaningful decisions in the course of the game. When you're playing League of Legends, you have to decide as you're putting your gear together what you're going to do. And even if you kind of um, have this as a, as a specific build you're working towards, there's some flexibility huh. Um, so you don't like the workaround. You don't like the gym system or whatever. They, I they, hate the, the, the gym. belt system. Yeah. So what they have here is, and you, and all these decisions in Guardians of Middle Earth, you make before the game even starts. And right. one of the ways they do this is this belt system. And I don't know why they're calling it a belt. I guess I do know why they're calling yeah, it. A belt. It's, yeah, it's yeah. You're slotting little gems in 
belt slots and then you you make a few chunks at a time and you string them out in a belt and it creates a string of little colors and it, it's almost like making a bead necklace or something that's kind of cute um but what i hate about this is it's so grindy and tiny and there's a there's a counterpart for this in league of legends with mm-hmm. i forget if they're called glyphs or uh it's ruined pages okay yeah uh and it just feels like it's it's that mechanic from league of legends oh, it is applied here but i hate how grindy it is in terms of spending your your little i don't know guardian bucks middle earth bucks or whatever to be fair the league of legends does the same thing <laughs> so you can't but, you can't okay. you can't smack it without you know. right but league of legends does have a completely different mechanic that that, that you That's affect right. during the course of a match with gear and there's no counterpart to that in guardians of middle earth what they do have in guardians of middle earth and i hate this are potions, usable potions, that you buy with your in-game bucks, and then you use it and it's gone. And you can decide as you level up which potions you're going to bring in. You, you get one slot, I think, at level three. You eventually get, I don't know if it's three or four slots, but you can eventually bring in these one-use-only potions. A lot of them are really minor, but you can pay your Middle-Earth bucks or whatever to buy more powerful ones. Uh, I just hate the resource sink in this. It's it's a pretty hefty resource sink, and that's I mean I guess that's kind of my issue. And also uh, one other issue I have with that game is that if I purchase it and you expect me to purchase gems, I shouldn't also have to purchase characters with money and then purchase them with gems once I've purchased them with money. Right, right. You, you know that it seems kind of weird to me, like and, that I buy, buy a pack of characters and then I have to buy them in the game. Right, you then have to unlock them in the game after you've paid right. for them. And it, it seems, again, what they're doing is they're aping what League of Legends does. Sure. Uh, by, hey, here's this game. You can either buy the characters by buying the game, or you can earn them in the, the game with your Middle-Earth bucks. And and by the way, your Middle-Earth bucks are constantly being siphoned off to your little belt gems or your potions. Uh, I, I just hate what a resource... I just hate how grindy it feels. Um, but sure. here's my... Oh, go ahead. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like the biggest thing that I think the game misses is the uh, is the equipment purchases because that makes that is just like a huge uh, variety to it. And uh, yeah, I kind of threw Chaplin under the bus. That's not really fair. Uh, I really do like the game. I just think that it's. Uh, I think after I played it a bit more, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, I, I'm going to have to dedicate way more time than I really want to right. to play this. It's so. definitely a time sink, and you can see when you're playing, you know, when somebody kills you, it, it gives you all that data like you get in League of Legends, and you it's, can see what levels people are, you can see what potions they're equipping, what their little special skill is, what their belts look like. You, you can see how much time people are sinking into this, and when they therefore kill you, it's like, oh, well, of course he killed me. This guy's been yeah. playing this stupid thing for 200 hours. Yeah. Right. So here's the, the thing, though, that it misses most for me, McMaster. I can kind of see that stuff and think, okay, I can see the appeal. Maybe I'll even play this for a little while because I like these kinds of games. Here's the right. main obstacle for me in, in Guardians of Middle-Earth. I see no Middle-Earth personality here. I see nothing that I love in Lord of the Rings that makes me want to play this. Uh, oh no! I mean, I agree. Like, I guess that's that's kind of killer for it too. Is that they they have characters like Gollum and stuff like that that everybody knows. 
Uh, Gollum and, and Gandalf, I would argue, are the only really recognizable ones. Right. Uh, well, Legolas. I mean, come on. Nope. You know, even Legolas. Nope. He's a generic elf. He's an archer. He's no different from Thrain or Thanduil. I don't know. The, the other archer characters. Oh, you, oh, you mean actual personality-wise and not just character-wise. Yes. Uh, yeah, Gollum is kind of a weird character. He's my favorite, hands down. Uh well, I think as far as expressing them both visually and in terms of gameplay, like Gollum and Gandalf are, are both, uh, For, and even even gameplay I would say is questionable, but they both, as I see them on screen, are like, oh, there's Gollum, there's Gandalf. Right. But then there are 18 other dudes in here. There's Fromdam and Big Wop and Nurgal and Doofmus, and I don't know who those guys are. Some of, <laughs> you know, they're like... It's it's a variety of dwarves and goblin orky kind of things, and I see them on screen because the way these games work is you're only going to have one instance of, of each character in a per match, team. right? So everyone's always, I guess, going to have a golem and a Gandalf, whatever. But then all these other doofmuses and so I don't know who these guys are. They don't mean anything to me. I have no desire to choose any of them. Um, so my news of the week, though, is hey. Monolith seems to realize this because they have just made available, and when I say just made available, I mean in the last couple of weeks, coinciding with the release of the Hobbit movie, what do you know? They have just made available four very recognizable characters. You get Frodo, you get Bert, who Bert might not mean much to you, but he's a he's a troll, he's a big dumb troll. You get Thorin, and if you saw the Hobbit, you know yeah. that Thorin Oakenshield's a prominent character. He's and, a total badass. Total badass, and you get the Great Goblin. So these four uh, characters are now available for Guardians of Middle-Earth for $2 each. Oh, is that all? That's Man, and then I have to unlock them. <laughs> Yay! How and now I that's like the problem I, I just want to go on record as thanking you for giving me the name for at least four characters <laughs> in, in, in my next couple of, of, I of think, RPGs. I think Big Wop's my favorite. <laughs> I can. I, damn is good too. From damn Big Wop, Nurgle, and Doofmus. Yeah, those are those are four of the, the eighty-seven dwarves in the Hobbit. That, yeah. that, that's my party for uh, Legend of Grimrock. That's all I'm saying. and Jim and Big Ears. <laughs> uh, so, McMaster, have you bought any of these new characters in Guardians of Middle Earth? No. Like, well, the only thing I did is I bought the initial pack, and then I played a good bit the first few days. Um, and, you know, like I said, I do like the game. I enjoy playing as Gollum, but uh, there is a huge uh, issue with personality, and there's another huge issue with it. It just totally reminds me of Heroes of New Earth with their color scheme. But anyway. Um, I think it's ugly. I mean, I, I will go – I think it, it, it's an ugly game. It, it's just a bunch of spell effects and a bunch of just generic-looking dwarves and goblins and whatnot, and the, the levels and even, like, the little foliage when you're jungling. I, I just think it's an ugly game. I just I, I guess what I was most impressed with is how it, how well it controls on the console. I mean, it's just sure. basic control wise, I think it's pretty cool uh, what they did with that. What um, I wonder, McMaster, is like they definitely solved the issue of how are you going to emulate the mouse and keyboard that's crucial yeah. to League of Legends. They solved that, but I wonder how much it hamstrings what the different characters can do. I don't know yeah. the answer to that because I've only tried a few characters, but I've mostly been impressed with how easily you can target and bring up different kinds of abilities. Um, yeah. They did a really good job with it. And if you mess with like the advanced options, you can even do go a little bit further. 
uh, where you can like uh, load a spell and then fire it afterwards, or you you know stuff like that, and right. so you don't have to just instantly shoot every spell. Um, but yeah, it's like the only it's it's really there's a lot of balance issues. Uh, is also what it comes down to because stuff like Legolas and who the hell ever the other archer is, Jim or Bill or whatever, he he like they're they're very similar, but they're not even remotely as good as Gollum. So there's there's no reason to take those characters because those are the three like carries I guess or whatever, um, and they're just I, I don't know. It's just like certain characters are really pointless, right? Uh, and they don't. How about Fromdam though? Fromdam's pretty sweet. <laughs> so from I don't really know the name of the one that I picked, but there is a goblin who lays traps and who can throw explosive. He's it, right. bombs, and his name is something like Fromdam or Frushbig or. He does a lot of damage. That's the only Doof. problem with him. Is like he kills himself, but like he can Rob really Doof? take some people out. It's, it's something with an F and some various consonants and a few vowels. I don't. I don't know the specific. I don't recall the specifics. Booba Stank and uh, <laughs> you know, all those other guys. <laughs> so I'm. So the news is uh, that it's it's not a good game and it's a money grubbing time sink game. And I just could I I, I play it and I'm like okay. I, if I really want to play a game like this on a console system, I would play Awesome Knots. And if I really wanted to play an in-depth, detailed, time-sync, grindy game, and grindy doesn't always mean bad, then I would just play League of Legends on my PC. Well, I mean, that's kind of the problem for these games, too. And this is not like, well, I guess it is kind of favoritism, but just League of Legends is an excellent game. Yeah. It really is. Those guys have done yeah. a great job with it. Like, even, I, I still think it's better than Dota 2. And, uh... That you're just going to have to like come up against such stiff competition. Now, I mean, on the console, I mean, that's what I kind of liked about it because I'm not a huge Awesome Knots fan. I mean, nothing against the game. I just don't want to play a platformer version of Dota. Mm-hmm. But just like I don't like Monday Night Combat that much. You know, it just doesn't do it for me. I like mm-hmm. standard ass Dota. So like that that was really the appeal to me. But like, yeah, after spending a few days with it and seeing exactly how long it is for me to, going to take to build like an actual build for a character uh yeah it's i was kind of like yeah i'm not gonna pursue this master i think they should use that in their marketing uh if you just like standard ass dota (laughs) (laughs) oh god that'd be awesome a plot quote for me on there if you like standard ass dota (laughs) then guardians of middle earth is your only option on the 360 (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, is it on the PC, by the way? Has, uh, has Warner Brothers Interactive released that for the PC, or it's just a, a console game? I don't game? think so. I think, okay. I, I think it's just PS3 and uh, 360, though I don't know. If they did, I can't imagine it doing that well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so there's our news. Uh, go waste some money on Steam, play War Z while you can, while it's still called War Z. And uh, if you just like standard-ass Dota, play Guardians <laughs> of Middle-Earth. <laughs> All right, let's do some games of the week. Why don't I go first? Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Uh, this is a bit of a showstopper, and you, it'll take you guys to make things lively again. I'm gonna talk about a turn-based strategy game. <laughs> I don't even know how to say the name of it. Uh, so there's a there's an upcoming game uh, also from Russia called something like uh, 
uh, Masters of the Broken World, or uh, it's some kind of fantasy turn-based strategy game. Um, I've seen some. There's a thread on uh, according to three forms, and it's an eye-catching name. Like you see that name in a th- on a thread or, or whatever, and you're like, "Oh, Broken World, Master it. That's interesting. Okay." Uh, so this apparently is from. It's a sequel to a game that came out. I don't know how long ago. Uh, it's got to be a few years now. A game called, and forgive me, uh, I don't know how to say this. Eador, 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 something like that. Yeah, I, I can't say. I just think of like the donkey and Winnie the Pooh whenever I say the name of this game. <laughs> uh, so Eador. Uh, by the way, Eador colon Genesis. Because it's the beginning of the Eodors. Because I think Masters of the Broken World might even be called Eodor, colon, Masters of the Broken World. This is not that. This is Eodor Genesis. Uh, it's an older 2D game. It's turn-based. It's fantasy. Uh, it doesn't... It, 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 uh, it, it's fairly easy to jump into if you're willing to like read tooltips and play it wrong a couple of times. Um, and I think people who play strategy games are more than happy to do that kind of thing. Uh, the tooltips are very good. It's 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 very well documented in that regard. It's even got a little campaign you can play. But I just I I want no part of that. That's really slow. It'll slowly unfurl the game mechanics for you. But for a guy like me, I just want to jump into the single player game, figure it out by doing it wrong a few times, and then do it right. So I'm at the point now where I've played it right a couple of times. Uh, and I'm really enjoying it uh, as a, a kind of an alternative to the Heroes of Might and Magic games, which I think it most closely resembles. So the basic premise is that you pick a hero, you level him up, he accumulates an army, and then you go out and you conquer the world. And that's very Heroes of Might and Magic. It's not about moving little armies around and building new cities. It's about getting what you call a killer stack. And a lot of times that's used as a, as a criticism for a game design, but I think that it's a valid way to make a game. If you create a killer stack and you go out and you conquer the world with it. Now, in Heroes of Might and Magic, you are moving your killer stack through a maze, which has great graphics, but often at the expense of clarity. Like it's not always clear how far your stack can move, how you get around over here, what's that treasure, how difficult are these monsters, is that even a monster, or is it just uh, some sort of ambient graphic? Uh, they're beautiful games, but they're not very precise. Uh, Eador Genesis is the opposite. It's great old-school 2D graphics, but everything is pretty clear. You're not moving around a maze. You're, you're conquering this quilt work of territories, uh, and you only ever move your dudes one territory at a time. Uh, all that's very clear. Um, and unlike Heroes of Might and Magic, it's randomized. Now I know that some of the heroes games eventually added a, a map randomizer, but for oh, the most yeah. part, for the most part, those were about playing a preset map and clearing it of treasure uh, in the best way possible to move through all the monsters. This is very much, hey, you get a randomized world. There's all these territories. Uh, go out and conquer them. Uh, and I really like that. That sort of appeals to the Civ or Masters of Magic player uh, in me. Uh, one thing that also is very similar to Heroes of Might and Magic is that all of the what you would call the city development, all of the sort of the leveling up, mm-hmm. the, the empire management is focused in one city. Um, you're not building different cities. You've just got your main stronghold. And just like Heroes of Might and Magic, it's all about in what order will you upgrade the different buildings in this stronghold. Uh, and it's a very intricate, um, in-depth sort of gameplay progression tree. Like, do you go for magic? In which case uh, are you trying to, like, 
focus on one school of magic? Are you working broadly across various schools? Are you going for more conventional forces? Uh, are you going to conquer territories from other races and try to keep them happy? Because there is some sort of morale management there uh, by building theaters and, and gladiatorial arenas and whatnot. Uh, are you going to focus on gathering uh, on economy, on, on gathering these strategic resources uh, and building sawmills and craft shops and forges to make them worth more money? Uh, I love how many options there are in this city development uh, that they've got. Um, so I like that a lot. And it reminds me a bit of imperialism, which was all about you go out in the world, you get these resources, and you bring them back to this central city. And that central city is where you do all your advances and your upgrades and your resource management. Um, so I like it for that a lot. Uh, I really like the hero advancement, uh, very much like Heroes of Might and Magic. Whenever your guy levels up, you are presented with three randomly chosen skills that you can upgrade. Um, so there's a sense of deciding, okay, I'm going to be either a magic user or a fighter or an archer. But within that decision, uh, some of the choice is taken out of your control. You're never sure if the skill that you want is going to appear. Uh, and I kind of like... Some people might find that frustrating, but I, I like that randomness there. For no, instance, cool. yeah, I, yeah, like that, it's forcing you to make hard choices, and it's not always giving you the choices that you want. Um, I had a, a magic user that I was playing, and I really like the way they do necromancy in this game, uh, where you can uh, summon from a dead body skeletons or zombies, eventually ghouls and ghosts, but you need a dead body. So what I've been doing with my necromancer is just loading him up with cheap militia, you know, this, the cheapest, most inexpensive military unit. It's just dudes with pitchforks. Loading up him with a front line of militia, charge them into combat when they invariably get killed, raise powerful ghouls. Uh, I love the way that plays. One of the problems, however, is that even though my guy is level 8, the necromancy skill, which gives me advanced units that I can raise and lets me keep them in my army, it's only showed up a couple of times in that rotation of skills I choose. So even though I really want to be a necromancer, uh, I can't always focus on that. I'm at the mercy of the random number yeah. generator. Doesn't Fallen Enchantress do that to an extent, too? Like, uh, not let you choose what's... I mean, you know, you have like a group of skills when you level up your heroes. Um... Does it do that? I don't think so. I thought there, yeah, I thought it did like a weird, like a shuffle of like six skills you could pick from every time you rough, uh, level up a hero. You might be right. I'm thinking of the cities, though. The cities are very deterministic in Fallen Enchantress and that you can decide okay, where yeah. they go. But you might be right about the Heroes Master, yeah. Because that's, um, that's a really cool concept. Well, what, what they eventually do with Eodor Genesis is when your hero gets to level 10, then you can decide an elite class, like a special, a specialized class. So even though I only got two points of necromancy on the way to level 10, once I hit 10, I could make him a necromancer, uh, mm. and then I can start focusing that. Uh, so it, it's got this nice mix of you make very specific decisions in your city and how you spend your resources, but then you're a little bit at the mercy of randomness in your, in your particular heroes. Uh, and then finally, uh, so real quick, two other things I really like about it. Um, the, uh, the, the, the way you explore and exploit the world is they're all territories. It's a patchwork. It's like a quilt work of territories. 
in each territory, it starts out unexplored. And you send a hero there, and he basically parks there every turn, and he does an action called exploring. And as he explores, he reveals, he increases the percentage that this territory has been explored. And once you explore it 100%, you can exploit it more efficiently, you get more money from it. But as you're exploring it, you are discovering basically uh, tactical battles that you can fight. You get a list in each territory. So rather than running around on a map and bumping into little uh, unit models and then having a battle, you're running around on a map and you are unlocking a, a big long list for each territory of different things you can do. And all you get is you get a mix of a location and who's guarding it. That's all you know. So I might go to a territory and I start exploring it. And eventually that territory becomes a list of ruins guarded by bandits or a monolith guarded by fairies, or a dungeon guarded by giant spiders, or a gold mine guarded by dwarves. I decide which of those battles I want to have, and then I get, if it's a gold mine, I unlock that. Some things you just find treasure. Uh, some things will unlock new quest chains for you. Uh, and while this is happening, while each territory is giving you a list of battles you can fight, it's constantly rolling out random events. You know, in Fallen Enchantress or in Civilization, you might get a random event every 20, 30 turns, whatever. Right, yeah, absolutely. This thing is full of random events, almost like every other turn or so. There's constantly some little decision coming up. You know, somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, we found magic mushrooms, but we have to cut down the trees. Do you want us to cut down the trees uh, or leave them? Uh, or somebody comes to you and is saying, hey, uh, these, these bandits are attacking us. We need gold to mount defenses or we need you to station a particular guard here. Uh, so it's constantly rolling out these little story-driven decisions that you have to make. I really like that. And then finally... I love, love, love the tactical combat in this. Uh, it's a great balanced mix of terrain, magic, brute force, uh, ranged weapons. Um, uh, like I, I love how every battle that I have, I feel like I want to play it uh, because uh, it's important to optimize the battles yourself because healing up damage afterwards is never something that's easy to do. Like, healing is a very slow thing. Uh, you don't want to just auto-play and get all your units hurt. Uh, it's all about carefully uh, making efficient use of your forces. Uh, so I love how it expects you to do that with every battle, rather than just hit randomize, rather than doing all these battles that are just you know default wins, and you're just auto-resolving them or whatever. Uh, I feel like every battle is something I should get in there and manage, because it's important that I come out of there with the maximum amount of experience and the least amount of damage. Um, so here, here you go, an old-school 2D graphics fantasy strategy game that I just dinked around with, didn't expect much, and have uh, really been delighted to discover a really, really good game. So this is called Eodor Genesis, right? Eodor Genesis, and, and I think what happened was they were getting some buzz for this uh, Master the new of the one. World thing. Yeah, so yeah. to sort of further that buzz, they re-released on good old games uh, yeah. Eodor Genesis, and I think it's something like five bucks or something. It's five ninety nine. I just yeah. I just bought. It. It's really it's really good. Yeah. And oh, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. No, I was going to say I'm heading over to good old games now because my next question is going to be where do we where do, where can we find this? And, and because it's good old games, and answered. Yep, you can download it and just install it on as many computers as you want. Uh, it's even got multiplayer, which I haven't tried. Uh, oh, I can't. Has it imagine. got email? I don't. I don't know how the multiplayer works. I, way I, I can't imagine it would work well just because of the pacing. Um, but you know what? Who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll fire up the game. Oh, we're going to have to find out. All right. 
<laughs> I haven't played you in a strategy game in at least two months, and I'm starting to get the shakes. All right, maybe we'll get Chris in here on that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so that's my game. Uh, just a, an accidental discovery of a, of a little strategy gem, which I heartily recommend. Eodor Genesis. McMaster, what do you have to top that? Oh, um, uh, doing what I do best, and that is following you around and uh, doing whatever you do and uh, purchasing things you want. Um, I, uh, I'm now playing Hot Shots Golf and Invitational. Aha. Uh-huh. Yep. And have you beat any of my high scores on the PlayStation Vita? Yeah. Oh yeah, all of them. Nah. You don't know that. You don't. Know, you don't know that. <laughs> There's, there is multiplayer in this. I just need to have to figure out how to do it so I can. Uh, I can uh, hit a golf ball into your face. So unfortunately, I, I think the multiplayer because this would be ripe for the equivalent of like a for asynchronous play. I don't know I, why there is an asynchronous play with a good golf game like this. That that's a that's a great point like that would absolutely there should be there could be i mean all it is is it's basically a turn-based game where you take i i take my shot you take your shot yeah well that's the thing too is like you know how you know how some people are totally all about uh like baseball simulators and stuff man i love golf it's a numbers game for me so uh yeah i would love to see something like that um that aside though uh it is a pretty cool golf game uh, I've always liked the Hot Shots games, though, because uh, there's something simple about them. Like, it, it, whereas I do enjoy also Tiger Woods, uh, there's something to be said for having just like a, a two-click bar and pointing stuff uh, in the right direction and just taking a shot. Like, uh, I don't want to use my thumbstick to pretend I'm making a golf swing because there is absolutely no way to really feel like you're in control with that. Um, and, uh, really just the game itself being so cartoony and so vibrant and everything, it's just kind of breaks golf down to the basics of it. It's almost kind of a, a golf kind of deconstruction in a way, just, yeah. just takes the basic game of golf, the basic old video game of golf and, uh, adds a new level to it and, you know, unlockables to chase. There's nothing to dislike about that. So the basic, uh, character progression and by the way this is one thing i so love it when video games do this i wish more did it uh when you play a round of golf no matter how poorly you do you're going to advance somehow you're going to earn some experience points uh so i can play a tournament and i can come in 20th place and i will not have wasted my time entirely i'll get something to show for it and that's just like one of my favorite parts i guess of the entire golf game genre anyway but they do it really well and uh in this and and what they also do is uh it it has the courses are are grouped in clusters uh there's like class one class two or whatever in order to to unlock more courses you have to earn gold stars by i think placing in first in a series of tournaments yeah i think it's first per yeah and then once you do that, you get a gold star. And then once you've got five gold stars for the far first five tournaments, which I think are on two or three different courses, then you unlock the next set. So right. what will happen, uh, the first one's kind of a gimme. I think it's hard to play that and not come in first place. But then the yeah. second one, they start to be more competitive. You know, you want to come in at the end of the nine or 18 holes in at par or under. I don't know what the language is. Like, you can't hit too many bogeys or whatever. You're not going to come in first place. So... 
you'll play it and you'll be like, oh man, I suck. And you'll come in like 19th or 20th and you'll play it again and you'll come in, oh, 16th this time. Right. And you'll play it again and oh, this time 18th. And you'll play it once and oh, you're at the last hole and you're in sixth place and oh, you get a bogey and you're down to 12th place. So what'll happen is after you play it a few times, it unlocks the option to play it on easy mode. And it's just when you're loading that particular tournament, you just press the square button. It says at the top of the screen, hey, do you want easy mode? You press the square button and it just makes the other guys suck. And that's fine because it just makes it you know, you're, you're getting uh, you're getting your experience for playing, but it's going to make it after you've beat your head against it a while. It's going to make it a little easier to get the stars if you just want to advance. Uh, and I, I really a, appreciate that. That's very uh, it's very intelligent game design. Um, right. Yeah, and that's that's what you know comes down to. Well, anyway, I'll, I won't go into a game design discussion. All right, um, but yes, with the game. Uh, the whole idea is that, yeah, you have those initial courses, and I think it's two courses per, uh, and okay. they're, the first four stars are like, you know, nine holes in, nine holes out, nine holes in, nine holes out. The fifth oh, star yeah. is an 18-hole right. uh, tournament, and then once you have a certain amount of stars, you can play versus to unlock new characters, which is one of my favorite things in the world. Like, I know it's ridiculous, and it, it totally is, just uh, I'm buying into a treadmill and a carrot but man i do love stuff like that i love being able to say like oh a new golfer with slightly better stats and then i could build that one up you know and add stuff to him and then or her and uh get better scores uh, you know and once you once you level up a bit you can go back to your <clears throat> earlier rounds and try to get crowns on them if you unlocked any crowns tom uh yes I only have one. So <laughs> I don't even know what those are. No, how do you get crown crowns? You unlock, yeah. Tom. Uh, um, the golden crown of supremacy? Uh, yeah, that, that was it. I, I, oh, I saw that on the wall, the live area. Tom unlocked the golden crown of supremacy earlier. Um, other, other than the many crowns in the greater Niagara Falls region, Tom, which crowns are you unlocked? The, uh, but now what happens is that there are certain specific and a lot of times hidden uh, goals in the courses, and if you do the courses just right, you get a crown, and you can use crowns to unlock super versus challenges and stuff like that, where you play against like really good characters, and if you beat them, you can play, you know, get them. I but uh, I, I think for the first four, like the easy ones, and I haven't done these yet. Uh, I actually got one for not using spin, uh, but ah. like uh, the first four, you have to get over two thousand points. I think, and you get a crown, which is tough unless you birdie, like, every hole. So you need to get, like, somebody that can, like, drive really far um, before you do that and to have at least a modicum of accuracy because you don't want to end up in the damn woods. But uh, McMaster, what color are your balls? Oh, uh, so many ways to answer Always that. Always a good question. Oh. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, I haven't purchased any of the special balls. I'll take the high road on this, uh, or at least I haven't. I haven't purchased any of the uh, like weirdly patterned ones. I've bought the the, the stat boost ones. All right, okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> I thought you might. So no, it's not like a soccer ball <laughs> or a globe. Uh, all right. Well, I'm glad you're playing uh, Hot Shots Golf. That means next week we can hear uh, you'll be playing Eodor Genesis. Yeah, probably. Yeah, since I've already purchased it. Yes, uh, I, I'm still loving my Vita, by the way. Uh, Chris, do you? Me too. Two questions. Do you have a Vita, and what golf games do you enjoy? <laughs> I I do not have a Vita, although it 
hearing uh, all the good buzz that uh, you and Jason and other people have been giving it now, I'm definitely considering it. Um, as far as golf games, I'm a Tiger Woods honk. Oh, uh, I love, Tiger, love Woods Tiger Woods. Awesome. Yep. It really is. I was trying to explain to Tom how it's more of like a role-playing game than a it golf is a, game. <laughs> yeah, it's basically role-playing. Although you can't build up your own Tiger Woods harem of, you know, no. like faded porn stars and stuff like that. But other than that, it, it's still, it's still a very good game. It's an enjoyable game. Yeah, it's a stat. It's a, it's like a nerd game. Total stats. Total. And and I was enough of a nerd that I absolutely had to pick up the latest volume of it just because it had the Augusta uh, Country Club in it that I've been dying to play in a Tiger Woods game for years and years, and they didn't have it licensed until, it was just this year, right? Yeah, I think so. So, Chris, you actually know about specific real-world courses enough to want to play them in a game? Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) Me too. Now, why do you say unfortunately? Like, do you you follow golf? I don't follow it that closely, but uh, actually, mostly from having played computer golf games going back to Lynx. You know, you, yeah, know Augusta, right. you know Augusta National, you know TPC at Sawgrass, you know St. Andrews over in Scotland. You know, there, there are four or five courses that are just so recognizable and so much fun to play around on that when they're, when one of them is absent, like Augusta has always been yeah. absent from Tiger Woods until recently, it really stuck out that, oh, man, you know, here's this major golf event and you can't play it. Yeah, that is kind of weird, actually, because they've even gone to the point of like adding the black tees up from where the God, what was it, uh, the New York course they played a few years back. Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they are, yeah, yeah. Uh, they added that and all sorts of stuff. So it was kind of weird that Augusta wasn't included. Yeah. Is Augusta in Hot Shots Golf, Master? I, I don't think any of these courses. I don't think there are that many bears and chickens wandering the courses of Augusta. That's a shame because I think it just makes it that much better, golf. Well, sure. I mean, if you're playing real golf and you see a bear, it's a little disconcerting. Um, I've only ever seen a crocodile. (laughs) I would like to see uh, golf and Far Cry 3 mixed. So that you have to like (laughs) snipe sharks and that like a Komodo dragon might attack you. You yeah, like you have to, yeah, yeah, you, you actually can't carry more clubs to make yourself a golf bag. Exactly, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You can. <laughs> or else you only get one club. Yeah, you can only bring like your driver and a putter, uh, <laughs> and you kill like fifteen sharks. Yeah, no, or yeah, you need to get four dingoes to get your sand wedge. You need to get five emu skins to get your putter. Yeah, I, yeah, I think there's something there. Uh, and yeah. that that crazy German guy can be your caddy. From from the second island. So, there you go. Uh, all right. So, uh, McMaster finally uh, keeping par with me, so to speak, on, on on Vita games. See what I did there, McMaster? Yeah, I thought that that was pretty sweet. Uh, but what's our next Vita game, Tom? What's our next Vita game? I think they're done making them, aren't they? Aren't they all yeah, out now? You, are they done now? Is that it? <laughs> It's completely it. They're just done with Vita. We're done. <laughs> oh, you had a good nine months. We're, we're it's. <laughs> Well, I'm still I'm I'm still really into Assassin's Creed Liberation, and I just want to say, just the other night, a bunch of freaking pirates stole all my fruit. Those dicks. You know why? Scurvy. 
They hate scurvy, but they love the ocean. <laughs> well, they have enough fruit now. I had 13 tons of fruit being sent out to Barbados, and I finally found out what happens if you if your your shipping line rolls the pirate event. Uh, it just means, hey, pirates come and they take all your stuff. Your ship is fine. You know, I sailed into Barbados with a, an empty brigantine or whatever, and all my fruit was gone because of the freaking pirates. So, I actually got. I, I I'm still struggling with the notion of buying Need for Speed Most Wanted on the Vita, and I'm probably going to buy it on the 360. Because I, I want to... I, so, oh, actually, my news of the week should be that they uh, have DLC for that, but it's not because all the DLC is is a bunch of stupid supercars that I couldn't care less about. Uh, uh, no, Game Breakers? Uh, are they called that? No, are they? That's what I was asking. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I, thought, I didn't know if that was like a type of no. Lamborghini or something. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Uh, no, there. well, the thing about Need for Speed Most Wanted is it's already got way all kinds of supercars that I don't know what they are. Um, and the DLC, which I promptly bought because I love this game, I want to see whatever they're going to add to it, is just more supercars. It's like five supercars, each with new events you can do. And I, I you know, I don't... You know what? A Lamborghini is a Ferrari is a... Uh, Maserati. I I can't tell one from the other. Those things all look the same to me. And they're they're far. I, I, they all perform basically the same in those games. So you know what? Pretty much all cars perform the same in Need for Speed Most Wanted, though. I mean, not <laughs> not really, but but once you upgrade a car, any car is as fast as any other. It's kind of silly. You know, that's not true either because actually some of these supercars are ridiculously uh, fast and effective. Um, so yeah, McMaster, get on, get in on most wanted because you're not going to work your way up towards my score uh, without actually trying, without actually having the game you're serving. Uh, um, so oh, I have another question to ask you just real quick. Either uh, Genesis, can I play it on Big Picture? Wow, I kind of doubt it. Oh, unless you drag, unless you drag your mouse and keyboard into the living room. <laughs> No, it's more of a laptop game for me anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it definitely being a game that old, it's definitely it's going to run on any laptop you've got. That, yes. That, uh, those are the perfect laptop games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Chris Hornbostel, I understand that uh, your game of the week is not Skyrim. That is correct. Squander. What else it, could it be? Well, it's a game that I actually took note of because it started out as a Kickstarter. And uh -oh. I took note of it because I said, this looks really, really cool. And then I actually, I forgot to kick in money on the Kickstarter. It still succeeded. And then I had no idea it came out. And it just came out, I think, a couple of weeks ago. And it is a turn-based strategy game. What? Wait a minute. I feel like I should know about this. Yeah, me you should know really about this. About. And I can't believe that, and honestly, I looked on quarter three, and maybe there's a thread about this game, and I missed it. But Oh, I wait, is it, it, Chris, are you about to tell us about an iP a freaking iPad game? I am. Oh, good luck. Oh, well, no, I, I thought you were, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've gone, real games. If this is what I think it is, I've gone back and forth with Bruce Garrick on this. I'm, I'm curious, if, if is it a war it, game, Chris? It's a war game. Yeah, that's not a turn-based strategy game. Turn-based strategy games are one thing. Uh, nerdy man war games are something else entirely. <laughs> nerdy man war games. It is a nerdy man war game, although it's a well-presented one. And my game of the week is Battle of the Bulge for the iOS. Oh, that. I have seen that. Okay, nobody's going to care about this game. Now, actually, I'm just going to put out an assertion, Chris. I want you to tell me if I'm right or wrong. Uh, nobody who 
is not interested in divisional level maneuvering during specific battles of World War II is going to care about this game. True or false? <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> Uh, I think we might have lost Chris, so that leaves me <laughs> to tell everyone about the Battle of the Bulge game. Oops. Sorry. Sorry. Back. That was bad. <laughs> All right, so now we've covered that. Uh, no, okay, so Chris, explain yourself, because I, I, I see this thing as very esoteric. I mean, it does some cool things, but I, I can't get into it, and I've talked to Bruce Garrick about this. I'll, I'll explain some of that later. But how on earth did you come to play this, and weren't you just bored silly within five minutes? No and no. Um, first of all, I, I, I think the presentation to the game is absolutely wonderful for a person like me who doesn't play a lot of war games, and I haven't played any war games that I know of, you know, anything beyond uh, maybe a couple of Paradox games in the last, you know, dozen years or so. And this is a game that's very well presented. It's uh, got a lot of eye candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it's a very pretty game. It looks great. And Which real quick, I mean as as I think you're you're well aware, it's not something you can say about many war games. No, that's that's and true. It it plays very easily, like learning how to play it, um, ten minutes tops. Maybe fifteen, I don't know. But it's a very easy game to play. Um the map looks great. You know, it's very intuitive how to do things, how to move. Mm-hmm. Once you figure, once you grasp the movement mechanic, it's very easy to figure out how to do those kind of things. And then, what you discover is that you're almost as much, especially if you're the playing the Germans uh, in the Battle of the Bulge, you're almost as much battling the map as you are the huh. Allied forces mm-hmm. as you're trying to move across the map and you know take your objectives and get to your victory point hexes or spaces. Yeah, I understand but, that that was not a good time to be in <laughs> if you were the battle. <laughs> you are not partying. No, no, but I mean, as as far as the game goes, it's very it's a very engaging presentation and package that pulls you in, even if you know you're somebody like me who is only, you know, mostly peripherally interested in war games, and I pick it up mostly because it's a strategy game. I was like, I want to play you know, something that I can play, because I knew I was going to be on the road a lot for Christmas, and it really has... I, I've enjoyed what the amount of time that I've put into it thus far. Uh, we, we have someone uh, named Tim James who wrote on the front page for us. Uh, he's written a fair amount about a, a war game called uh, Unity of Command, which I haven't actually played, but after reading Tim's articles about it, he's, he's very fond of it. And I feel like I've played it, having read stuff that he's written about it. And it seems like a remarkable attempt to make that level of war gaming, uh, I think that's also you would call it divisional level, uh, to make that level of war gaming accessible to people who don't normally play war games. I would say Battle of the Bulge is that, like, times ten. Like, Battle of the Bulge is so friendly to jump into. The uh, the game mechanics are just so elegant and streamlined. Like, there's really no... 
like, I, can you could you explain, Chris, like how is this information presented? Because when I when I think of like a war game, I'm like, okay, well, there's going to be a chit. It's going to have an attack value and a defense value on every chit. There's going to be a stacking limit. Uh, like I kind of feel like, and then you're going to total the attack value. You're going to compare it to the defense value, and then you're going to line it up on some tables. It doesn't really do that in Battle of the Bulge, does it? Well, yeah, I, it doesn't, and the information is, you know, very, like you said, very streamlined. Every unit in the game is, has a little, you know, white pip on it, and the number of pips that it has is its unit strength, and those go anywhere from one up to, I think, six. And that's not only its attack value, it's also how many hits it can take before it's destroyed. And so, you know, that's real, real basic stuff. But it also combines terrain. Um, your movement is constrained by the terrain. It definitely, uh, all the rivers through that area really constrain you when you're trying to attack as the Germans. You have to really kind of, you know, plan ahead a couple of moves for taking key strategic areas because you can only attack you're going to be real limited in the amount of force that you're going to be able to throw at it that key space because of rivers and you know only being able to move one unit at a time across a uh, bridgehead and that's all very nicely modeled and I, I love how, just to interrupt real quick, you mentioned the bridgeheads. I love, for instance, how it doesn't make you know a rule about, okay, only one unit can cross a bridgehead on a turn. What it instead does is when you move that unit, it lights up a little red icon over the bridgehead yep. you just passed. Like, it, it's, it's, got, it's so clear about how to convey nerdy man war game information and to normal people. Thing about, and the important thing about uh, when it does that is it has an undo button. So let's say you've got three units and you want to move over to the, you want to attack the next space and you move over and you get that little red thing that says, oh no, no, that's a bridgehead. You can only move one unit across at a time. So you can only attack with one of your guys. You can take that unit back and say, well, that's not going to work. I need to think about how I'm going to do this now. It's very, uh, and I use this term with Bruce when we were talking about it, and he took issue with it. I think of it as very puzzly in that you're confronted with your move. You can only choose one territory at a time to move units out of. But you can freely muck around by picking this territory and trying to move these units and seeing how far you can get them and where you can attack, and you decide, no, I don't want to do that. You pull them all back. You try a different territory. And it's not until you hit in turn that your move is then executed. So I get this sense, and I don't necessarily mean this as a slam, that every move is a puzzle for me to optimize what I can do this turn but, like you mentioned, Chris, I also have to be looking ahead with how much I want to accomplish uh, in the ensuing turns. Do I move this territory now, or do I save it for later after other territories have moved and softened up the enemy or encircled uh, somewhere? Uh, it feels very puzzly, and I don't necessarily mean that as a criticism. Um, well, what, what's interesting, and, and I agree, and I, I think I know what you're saying there, and I agree with you. What's interesting is because the combat there is some random element in the combat it that can also affect your strategy 
you know, right. I've played games as the German side where, you know, I just went on this pell-mell attack where all I wanted to do was grab as much space as possible and then try to encircle and cut allied units off from their supply. And sometimes that works, but other times you almost take a, it almost helps to take a more methodical approach where you're kind of moving like this big amoeba, you know, <laughs> trying to, you know, trying to grab territory where you're not leaving yourself open to flanking attacks and uh, getting supply cut from the rear and stuff like that. Uh, I love moving a big amoeba. I think the Germans called that uh, zerging. <laughs> right. right. Uh, one of the things that I really also admire about the design, in addition to the clarity that we talked about, and, and Chris, when it resolves that combat, I love how in the little resolution screen, it's just got a list of every icon that could affect the combat. And the icons are so well done. They're so intuitive. I've never looked at one and thought, what does that mean? Uh, right. You see every icon and the ones that apply to this battle light up. Uh, and I just love – it's almost like uh, – I want to say like a pinball machine, but that's not really fair. It's just like this backdrop for every battle, and anything that applies to the battle gets lit. And it's just so clear and intuitive. I, I love that. Um, yeah. But one of the things, so I, I mentioned earlier about leveling up my characters in Eador Genesis, where my character gets to a certain level, and I can't pick my skill. I instead get three skills, and I pick which one of those I want. It's this great combination of things in my control and things out of my control. Both of those are there at once. What they do with the, the turns in Battle of the Bulge is that each time you make a move, I don't know how random it is, but a variable amount of time will pass after that move. And eventually, you're going to fill up a bar that represents that day, the, all the hours in that day. So if I'm just going to move a couple of dudes forward to take an empty territory to kind of make sure I don't get encircled, that might take me zero time or it might take me three hours i don't know so i have to decide do i want to do i want to spend a valuable variable slice of time doing something safe like that or do i want to gamble on doing something bold which again might take zero minutes or three hours who knows uh, i love how that's it both in my control and out of my control i love that variability i don't know of other i'm sure there's been another war game that's done that but i don't know of one it's, it's an I interesting love way to handle that uh, time scale. Now, the one thing I will say, and I think this is inherent to the design of a gamer that's simulating the Battle of the Bulge. If you are, especially if you're the, the German side, if you fail early or even have a setback early, you're probably done, you know. That, and I think that is probably, for me, still the biggest weakness of the game. And I just think it's inherent to that particular war <laughs> scenario where, you know, th this is not a back-and-forth game. You know, once one side really seizes the initiative and really has things going on their way, they're probably going to win the game. The, the actual Battle of the Bulge wasn't very well balanced. I think they needed to work on that some. Right. There's, there's just not enough game balance there. So, in, the, you know, it's interesting. I think that the same company is going to be doing uh, the Battle of El Alamein. I find that much more interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I can't wait to see. I think this was a lot of proof of concept. Um, they really, 
you know, they, they're able to involve the fact that the Luftwaffe was completely a non-entity at this point in the World War II, and so they're able to model that the Allies had air supremacy, they're able to model uh, German artillery without actually making them active parts of the game. They're actually like passive things that happen during the game. And right, I, like it, it, is in, it figures in prominently, but for the most part, it's abstracted. I really appreciate right. how they do some right. of that. Yeah, uh, and it's mostly it's just moving guys around on a, it's moving stuff around on a map is what it all boils down to. And you mentioned the, the presentation. Part of that is the the historical materials. I, I love how uh, you know their little history entries. The Battle of the Bulge, I think, is familiar to a lot of war gamers, but it's a great way to just sort of realize what what happened here. I mean. Uh, and that it, it definitely captures, even though it's kind of a proof of concept, and this is one reason I'm looking forward to their North African uh, game, it definitely captures the unique feel of what happened at the Battle of the Bulge, which was Germany was like, oh, you know what, we're going we're gonna to surprise them, we're going to muster together this huge, last-ditch, desperate offensive, and we're going to... We're going to destroy, break, break their morale, basically. So Germany has this huge early lead. It was a surprise attack. They had some great tanks they could bring to, to field these panzer divisions. Uh, they push as hard as they can, but what's inevitably going to happen is that the <laughs> Allies are just going to drive them back. So it's this great – it almost reminds me of the strategic-level games I've played of the Korean War, you know, where eventually the, the North Koreans come sweeping down the peninsula, and eventually the, the U.S., the, the U.N. coalition is just going to – coalition is going to push them back up the peninsula. It's this right. almost predestined – ebb and flow backwards. I, I love that. And they've definitely captured that feel uh, of the Battle of the Bulge. You guys um, are making me miss Talonsoft. <laughs> wow, McMaster. <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm a big Talonsoft fan. I can't help it. The exciting thing about this game is if you are a war game designer out there, you, you're hopefully playing Battle of the Bulge. And right now you're saying, okay, this is how you, know, this is how you can do this on you know, the iOS platform and really make a great strategic war game or just a, a great strategy game because yeah. it really is just an outstanding uh, implementation uh, that they came up with. Now, now, that said, Chris, though, I think part of my problem with it is in something like Eador Genesis, and good Lord, it just feels so weird saying that word out loud. Eador, Eador, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Eador uh, Genesis? Is, yeah, just the Eeyore game. Uh, in something like that, you know, I play and I, okay, I've failed. I'm going to start a new game. The new game's going to be completely different. Oh, uh, that one failed. New game, completely different. Hey, I kicked ass. Now I'm going to play this another time. New game, completely different. Uh, this does not scratch that itch. I mean, it's so... It's so grounded in a specific setup, a specific map. You know, it's only got one map. It's really only got one scenario. You can play a smaller version of it as a kind of a tutorial. Uh, you're always going to be doing the same thing over and over again. And in one of my exchanges with Bruce, because Bruce really likes this game, by the way, and he'll be he'll be writing about it on the, the front page soon. But in one of my exchanges with Bruce, I sort of complained about this. Uh, and he rightly responded to say, you know what, that's not accurate because... Things will unfold differently as you play. You know, it's sort of like 
uh, this huge uh, branching structure of different options and different things can go different ways based on what moves you make and what die rolls happen and what battles. Um, even though the setup is the same every time, you can have dramatically different outcomes each time you play. Uh, so where I sort of felt like, eh, it's the same thing over and over again, that's just a, a factor of responding to the starting position. You're always starting with the same forces, right. same basic opening moves, but the farther, the further you get into the game, the further it diverts from that, and it, and the more each game can acquire its own unique personality or narrative. Um, yeah, I've generally found that about halfway through the first day, that whatever game that I'm playing manages to completely branch and diverge from any any previous games that I've played. Something either goes spectacularly right or spectacularly wrong and needs to be accounted for. Right. So, yeah. Uh, McMaster, when you play, we just need you to go uh, with some infantry. Just take one infantry unit and just move them forward into Bastogne and, and let us know if there's anyone there. You're, yeah. We need you to walk out front, and if anyone shoots oh. at you, just come back and let us know. Okay, cool. Oh, uh, I'll just throw my operational Art of War manual at them. <laughs> there you go. Fling that thing hard. Yeah. By the way, it is uh, playable multiplayer via past the iPad and also asynchronously on Game Center. Which is awesome. Have you tried any multiplayer, Chris? Because I'm afraid to, I, I suck so bad at it. I just I think people, anybody would laugh at me if I played multiplayer. With I'm not real good at it, but uh, I actually uh, have engaged a family member in a in a game, uh, passing the iPad back and forth, and we're both equally stumbling around uh, with it right now in the middle. Is of this it. family member under the age of 14 years? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. So. All right, so a little wargaming. Yeah, you know. So yeah. Some wargaming for the iPad. So uh, we actually uh, were pretty strategy game heavy this week with uh, with Games of the Week, little Eador Genesis and Battle of the Bulge. And then McMaster with his little anime golf game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes that. <laughs> uh, all right, well, uh, gentlemen, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, thank you guys so much. Chris, Are you are you have you kicked your Skyrim habit? No, no. I'm once I get back home uh, from traveling over the holidays, I will be back uh, skyrimming away. Right, Chris, do you have? Are, you're on the 360, right? You're one of my 360 buddies. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a copy of Red Dead Redemption? I do. All right, good. Keep that handy. Don't, don't, don't like put that in a box and put it in the attic just yet. Just so you know. And folks listening, I'm just letting you know. If you have Red Dead Redemption on the 360, uh, keep it handy because I think uh, we're gonna. Try to get some uh, some communal playing uh, yes, going please. in the next month. Yeah. Yes. Remember after that goes for you too. We're going to need well. you to mainly. We need you to be the barkeep whenever we come in from gunfighting. <laughs> just make sure we all are set up with beer and whiskey. Okay. Are you sure you want the uh, Rockstar Games uh, number one gunslinger uh, serving whiskey instead of shooting dudes? I don't. That's fine. It's fine. You are the number one gunslinger in Rockstar Games. Well, uh, I mean, the three of us. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll grant you that. <laughs> McMaster, when I start playing Red Dead Redemption, can I can I raise pigs and will they get sick? Uh, well, that depends. I mean, well, will you be married and will your wife pass? <laughs> can I marry Lydia in Red Dead Redemption? That's all I want to know. 
You just, uh, yeah, that would be the greatest game where you just like leave an engraved tablet outside your house <laughs> and then just go wander around killing dudes. Yeah, that does seem like a nice option. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Chris, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us today. And again, thank you so much for that excellent series on on uh, Skyrim. I, I've really, even though I don't have it on the PC, I feel like I do. <laughs> all right, Steam sale. Steam, Steam sale. sale. Right, uh, McMaster. What are we bringing, folks, next year? Oh wow. Well, not the Mayan apocalypse. I hope and uh, games and news of the week. All right, so join us for that next week, and we'll see everyone then. This is the end. Hold your breath and count to ten Feel the earth move and then So she did like kind of Yeah, but do you kind of get the connection? It's pretty tenuous Like to this podcast Yeah, I know, I got it I I totally got it (laughs) I wasn't sure how clear that was But yeah, so she did the theme song I haven't seen that yet I don't like you could easily adapt this to Skyrim. Oh, Change sure. The last syllable in Adele's oh, Yeah. And I think these words apply.